3: From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. From the perspective of the rest of the world, California's universities are one of the great achievements of the United States. Nine major research institutions in the UC system and 23 Cal State schools serve a wide variety of students. But there's a catch. Near the state's public institutions, there's a brutal lack of space for students to live in. The state's big cities are inhospitable to young renters and the schools themselves have failed to build enough housing in the face of community opposition. That's the backdrop for the latest in the People's Park saga, where UC Berkeley has been trying and failing to build a thousand units of student housing on that history-rich patch of earth. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The history of People's Park is rich, stretching back to the days of the early Berkeley students' movements and a time when Ronald Reagan was the governor of California. If you're interested in that, let me direct you to our show from August 17th of last year, where we really delved in deep on those issues. There's another history, though, that's equally important, and that's the drive to enroll more Californians in the state's institutions. These universities are funded in part with state tax dollars, and they're tasked with the mandate to support Californian students, particularly those who are low-income or first-generation college attendees. That itself comes into conflict with the college's need for tuition revenue, which out-of-state and international students deliver more of. So we've got this complex, multidimensional problem that every individual university, like UC Berkeley, has to try to manage in concert with their student bodies and surrounding communities. Perhaps it's no surprise then that UC Berkeley's plan to put a dorm in People's Park has not gone smoothly. And here to help us unpack where we are with the latest legal wrangling, as well as the broader context of this fight, we're joined by a great panel. We've got Sujin Jez, CEO of California Competes, a nonpartisan policy and research org focused on the intersection of higher education, equity and the economy. Welcome, Jin.
4: Thank you. Happy to be here.
3: We're also joined by Bill Fulton, an urban planner with the William Fulton Group, also the author of Place and Prosperity, How Cities Help Us to Connect and Innovate, as well as the Guide to California Planning. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Good morning. And we're joined by Katie Lauer, uh, East Shore reporter with the East Bay Times and the Mercury News. Welcome, Katie.
5: Good morning. Thank you so much. So, Katie, let's
3: start with you. Can you just sort of give us... The kind of news bit here where does the proposal for people's park uh, housing stand and how has it gone over the last few weeks
5: Absolutely, I think a fair way to start off is that it stands in court. Um, It's been kind of drugged through um, different courts for the past few years now, and right now the ball is in UC Berkeley's court. I mean, um, no pun intended, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, the most recent opinion that was released just a couple weeks ago basically told um, the Regents that they could, you know, there's some issues with the um, planning documents that they put together to put together this project. You know, they could one fix some of those issues and resubmit it and um, move forward with the project as is or you know they could decide to appeal and go to the state supreme court so that's where we're at you know these issues of issues of enrollment issues of alternate sites um issues of noise we don't know yet what the, uh, what's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure that the university is going to go to the Supreme Court and kind of say that they are still on the right and challenge what has happened. Um, but, you know, neighbors and different organizations have come in and said that the university hasn't done its due diligence in, um, you know, if they want to build student housing, that's all well and good. But, you know, this was always going to be a contentious project, like you mentioned earlier, going back decades, you know, let let alone the last couple of years back to 2018. So, you know, neighbors are saying, if we're really trying to push student housing as much as we are, why not start somewhere else? Instead, you know, we're really kind of focusing on this one place and this one project. Um, So we're waiting for the next kind of court documents to start rolling.
3: And just to be clear, too, this appellate court ruling was quite different from the lower court ruling, which had happened in Alameda County, which had allowed the university to proceed to. Right. So we've had this kind of whiplash between the courts.
5: Correct. Flip flopping back and forth. Um, I would actually if people want to read the document, court um, rulings can be a little confusing. But this latest 47 pager is pretty straightforward. You know, it, their strategy was a little confusing. The judges ruled that, you know, where were we going next? Um People are saying, you know, they did their homework. I like to, I like to explain it to people. You know, if you want to do something, if you like, you're on a math test in elementary school, you find the right answer, but you have to show your work. You have to provide those reasons as to why you made the choices you did. And um, the most recent judges decided that the university did not do that.
6: Yeah,
3: you know, Bill Fulton, the legal basis for this lawsuit, or at least um, a, a core part of it, is that the university did not fully uh, complete the homework on CEQA, which is this California Environmental Quality Law. Um, what made the court's ruling in this particular application of CEQA kind of noteworthy and, and something that people have taken notice of?
6: Well, thanks. As you know, CEQA, as many of the uh, listeners probably know, CEQA is a is designed to highlight potential environmental impacts, uh engage the public in a robust discussion of those impacts, and then minimize them if possible. Uh, The biggest and most controversial issue in the court ruling a couple weeks ago had to do with noise. It's very well established in CEQA that you have to identify noise impacts and try to mitigate them. So, for example, um, if you are locating an airport, uh, you would uh, figure out Where the noise from the airport will go and try to make sure that if anybody lives there, uh, that that that, that they are protected against that. Perhaps with sound walls, you see that with freeways frequently. What was different about this case was the appellate court said, basically, noisy student parties are an environmental impact that the university has to address in its uh, environmental documents. Uh, uh, the social behavior of different groups of people has never been uh, an issue in any uh, In any CEQA document in the 53 years since CEQA occurred. And and particularly with noise, as I say, it's typically, oh, you're going to build something that will have noisy processes and you have to protect people against that, like a sound wall against a freeway. Uh, So, what's noteworthy about this and what has drawn some criticism from some people is that it appears to uh, require, it appears to say that the social behavior of certain groups of people, in this case students, can be an environmental impact. Hmm. So
3: one thing that I've heard from the kind of UC Berkeley side and maybe even just the general CEQA hater side of things is that this ruling could be quite far reaching like because it's this novel extension of kind of the logic of CEQA even that it could be quite transformative. Do you buy that or do you think this is really going to apply to just really a, a handful of student housing projects, which might be very important, particularly in the context of this show? But how far do you think this could reach beyond that kind of envelope?
6: Well, it's the nature of CEQA to expand. And uh, so I do think that if, the, if this goes to the Supreme Court and the su- Supreme Court upholds it, it will probably open up a whole new area of, of environmental analysis that must occur having to do, again, with the social behavior of different groups of people. That is not necessarily going to be limited to students. We see this in other areas all the, of Sequa all the time. For example, uh, in the last couple of years, all of a sudden, since wildfires have gotten worse, we've seen a bunch of judges say that CEQA that environmental analysis must include a detailed analysis of evacuation routes from new projects, new development projects around the state. That's an issue that has never come up before either in 53 years. And all of a sudden, that's an issue that many judges are highlighting as as being necessary and covered by CEQA. So, so as I say, it is in the Basic nature of Sequoia to expand, and so I don't see if I don't see if you head down this path, how you can limit it only to noisy student parties. We're talking about why
3: it's so challenging to build student housing in California with Bill Fulton, an urban planner with the William Fulton Group. Katie Lauer, East Show reporter with the East Bay Times and the Mercury News. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Have you or someone you know had a hard time finding student housing? In California. We're also interested, I mean, how do we find this balance between development and protecting the environment in this very broadly construed way that, that people are uh, considering with these the CEQA ruling? You can give us a call. The number is 866 733 6786. That's 866 733 6786. The email is forum at kqed.org and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED forum. Let's bring in Sujin Jez, CEO of California, um, competes into the conversation. Sujin, um, maybe you can give us some context for higher education in California. Why is it that state leaders want to increase enrollment at our public colleges and universities?
4: Yeah, so higher education is really, really important for so many reasons for our state. The the one I think People talk about most is meeting workforce needs and innovation and the strength of our economy. Um, California Competes has done research indicating that we need two million more graduates in our state: bachelor's degrees, associates degrees, long-term certificates. Our friends at PPIC have done work looking um, looking at what we need for our state, finding a million more, bachelor's degrees are needed. And the governor set an ambitious target of 70% of Californians having at least a long-term certificate. So no matter you know which way you're slicing and dicing the numbers or what metrics or goals, California has a ways to go to produce more, more college graduates. Mm-hmm. And, and housing is, is a really important part of making sure that people can go to college and afford college.
3: Yeah. Just to fill out this other piece of context here too, right? In the financial crisis of the mid-aughts, that forced a lot of major changes on California universities too, right? Like we began to admit more out-of-state and more international students. But it seems like those things are kind of swinging back the other way, right? And we're really focusing our university really focusing on serving in-state populations.
4: That's right. And I think it, it you know a lot of Californians are seeing that their children are struggling to get into universities here. And so we want to be able to have more Californians go to public and private institutions in our state. And you know the affordability crisis that applies to across our state applies to to college students also. Mm.
3: We've got some um, great um, beefy comments coming in right now. Um, Ivar writes, UC Berkeley has a bigger site than People's Park just a block away that they can build student housing on right now. And three blocks from Berkeley Main Campus at the Clark Kerr site. Clearly, the primary motive here is not student housing, affordable or otherwise. The primary challenge to building affordable housing is lack of serious policy by government at state, local, and federal officials, not pesky public input through the CEQA process. Just look at the lack of initiatives that our leaders have shown over the last four decades, little to no funding for public and or affordable housing, scan official support of rent control and the fruiting away each year of precious buildable land and corrupt deals with luxury developers. And CEQA is the problem that doesn't fit the fact. How do you see that, Bill Fulton? Do you think that is an accurate assessment of sort of what's holding up affordable housing?
6: Well, that's certainly a very strong opinion. I have to say that uh, it mm-hmm. is true that Berkeley owns other sites. It uh, I can't speak for why they've chosen the People's Park site. Um, affordable housing is one thing. Uh, housing for students has to be affordable, that, but that may fall into into a different category. Um, I'm not sure that that. There have been sleazy deals with luxury developers that many. There are many luxury developers who also complain about Sequa and feel as though they get stuck in the same spot. I will say that the affordable housing issue is so vast mm-hmm. uh, in California, not only for students but for others, that it probably requires a both-and approach. And I think it's probably not constructive to say that that one thing is a problem and another thing is not. You need you need more streamlining of sequa, You need more money. You need all those things. We're talking about why
3: it's so challenging to build student housing in California with Bill Fulton, an urban planner, Sujin Jez, CEO of California Competes, and Katie Lauer, East Show reporter with the East Bay Times. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned
0: for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about why it's so challenging to build student housing in California. Of course, we're talking about People's Park and UC Berkeley as well. We're joined by Katie Lauer, reporter at the East Bay Times and the Mercury News, Bill Fulton, an urban planner uh, with the William Fulton Group, and Sujin Jez, CEO of California Competes. That's a nonpartisan policy and research work focused on the intersection of higher education, equity, And the economy, of course, we're also taking your calls and comments. One listener tweets, One way to appease those who don't want noise from students is to have strict rules in those student housing communities regarding noise. It's understandable that nobody wants their community to turn into, quote, party central. But students living on the streets is unacceptable. Easy fix. Students sign an agreement, which ensures there's no noise generating activities. Um, Let's bring in a student. Ryan Loyola is a student at UC Santa Cruz. Welcome, Ryan.
8: Hi, folks. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Yeah. So you've also covered campus housing issues for Cal Matters, and this is obviously something that's you know you've been reporting on. What do you, when you decided to go to UC Santa Cruz, and when people like you decided to go to UC Santa Cruz, I mean, what do you expect housing will be like?
8: Well, I think you know it. Um, you know, heading out of out of high school and kind of looking in at colleges, housing is always something you always like consider on my end, but I think. When I was accepted into UCSC and kind of in my first year on campus, I was thinking to myself, you know, like, you know, like rough housing and kind of these rough housing situations are what you're going to find is, you know, it's like it's the it's the it's the how do I say it? It's, it's like the, the regular situation that you're going to find here at Santa Cruz and any other UC, mm-hmm. um, you know, but just that as, the housing
3: is really tough to find
8: yeah, that housing is tough to really find. It's really expensive to find a really good place that's close to campus without having to commute a while. It's, you know, it's challenging.
3: Mm -hmm. And what kinds of living situations do people find themselves in?
8: Yeah, I think, you know, we find ourselves specifically here at UC Santa Cruz. Um, Specifically, we have the actual campus itself has not actually built new housing infrastructure since 2002. But in that same amount of time, the actual enrollment for campus has increased around 6,000 students. So um, we see the campus kind of, whenever they talk about these new kind of these new kind of these grand achievements that they have in housing that they add, they use a specific word, um, that we're adding X amount of beds. Hmm. But what does beds mean? You know, over the past 20 years, that has meant turning singles into doubles, doubles into triples, triples into quads, quads Hmm. into quintuples. Um, So that's kind of the situation, at least on campus for people, um, that they kind of have to, live in as well. So that's the situation on campus. You go off campus, you'll find, you know, really, 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 really expensive kinds of apartments just to find a room. I know some people who have to pay fifteen to $1,700 a month um, for, for a single room in Santa Cruz County as well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to have to kind of, if you don't have that privilege and you don't have that kind of that wealth behind you then we see a lot of students who have to kind of who stay home i know a lot of people who live in san jose which is a 60 which is you know it's up it's in a different county i know people who commute to santa cruz from watsonville from redwood city that's kind of the situation that people have to deal with Mm. um as a specifically at ucsc in
3: present housing so I mean in your time you're only a student for let's say four or five years, uh, perhaps. I mean, do you think there's any short term solutions that could work? Or do you just want to dedicate yourself to finding those longer term solutions for other students to come after you?
8: Well, yeah, I think specifically in UCS UCSC and my reporting there, I always think about long term, right? Because we're currently at around somewhere around, you know, it it, it fluctuates. So let's say around eight Eighteen thousand students on uh, that's enrolled at UCSC right now, um, due to in in, um, in accordance with the campus's long range development plan, they want to bring that number from eighteen thousand to twenty eight thousand mm-hmm. by twenty forty, and mm-hmm. one of their you know their kind of their big. Kind of solutions to how we're going to get to twenty eight thousand is specifically are saying that they want to build. They want to. They want to build housing, and that excess ten thousand students they want to bring in, they're going to put on on campus housing as well. But as I said beforehand, um, even though they want to build on campus housing over the next uh, seventeen years, they're going to have trouble doing so. And you know, you mentioned before earlier in the program about sequel That's something that they've had kind of. Uh, Issues and difficulties with as well.
3: Yeah. Great. Hey, Ryan um, Loyola, thank you so much. A uh, student at UC Santa Cruz who's covered uh, housing for Cal Matters. Thanks for uh, sharing your experience and your reporting with us.
8: Thank you so much. Yeah.
3: Um, we're talking about why it's so challenging to build student housing in California. We've got a bunch of full phone lines. So I'm going to um, go to Ava in Sausalito, if I can just. There we go. Ava, welcome to the show.
9: Thank you for having me.
3: Um, Hi,
9: Hor. Uh, I'm good. I would just like to make some comments about the park and then ask a the question to you and to the host and to your guests. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going to the park for a few years now, and I have a lot of friends that live there and around the community that live near it, and friends just go to the park to get mm-hmm. resources or to hang out. And it's really a beautiful space, and I love the park so much. Um, It's also one of the last green spaces in Berkeley, California, in the Southside neighborhood of Berkeley, California. And um, I think it's also important to note that, along with it being a historical site, it is an encampment, and people live there and people call that place home. And a lot of the unhoused residents, they they, want, they don't want the park to get gentrified by the university. They don't want it to get bulldozed and it, for there to be dorms on it. I think it's also important to note that the university owns um, the majority of the land in the Southside neighborhood. They're one of the biggest landowners in Berkeley. And there's a, they, have, they own an apartment that's a block away from the park that's completely empty that they haven't done anything with in a couple years now. Um, and then, uh, with that being said, I'd like to ask, um, the host and your guests a question, and that is, um, have any of you, um, been going to the park and have you spoken with any of the people that live there? Yeah,
3: it's a, you know, um, thanks for that, Ava. Um, you know, we, I, I live close by, um, I have been by the park, um, I don't know that I have personally had, like, um, a lot of. Deep interactions with the people uh, who are living there now. Um, Katie Lauer, um, you're a reporter. You've been reporting on this. Um, have you um, had a lot of reporting time down at People's Park and how has it gone?
5: Um, I was I appreciate the question because I think that's something that often gets uh, forgotten within this conversation. I mean, including the project itself, it has beds that are set aside for formerly homeless folks at that point. Um, you know, I think what she said to the point that it, the park is a resource for people who maybe find themselves unhoused, need to access either shelters or um, food, just connection with people. Absolutely. There's a community there. Um when I went down there after not this latest um, ruling, but the one that allowed UC Berkeley to start construction, you know, uh, we had Vietnam vets there that were saying, you know, this is my, the where I live, where I've lived for a while, or maybe they live nearby, but this is my community. So Mm -hmm. they're, they're absolutely sitting right there, pushing back. Um, If you drive by, you know, it's a 2.8 acre piece of land. If no one has been over there in a minute, Um, you know, Previously, lots of green space, but now there are dozens of tents, you know, and I, I talking with folks. And that that, is that happened really
3: during the pandemic.
5: Yeah, I mean, before Correct. the pandemic, yeah.
3: it had been a, a source of gathering and community, but it really hadn't been, you know, a full time encampment.
5: Correct. Yep, and I know that when um, in the the previous, like maybe year or so, um, UC Berkeley and the city kind of coordinated to help get um, some of those folks into a different um, housing situation. So people have been working with the people who are there, but absolutely, it's a community in and of itself, and um, they're kind of in limbo as well.
3: Well, there's, you know, these are difficult things to balance. I mean, there was a. A California Assembly report that found a really large number of college students experiencing homelessness. Uh, one in 20 students at UC schools, one in 10 um, at Cal State, and one in five students at California community colleges uh, had e- experienced homelessness in some, you know, period of time before the report was done. Um, is that Does that match up with the reporting that you've been able to do on the ground talking with different students in different places?
5: You know, that is the one thing that I haven't been able to pin down just... A student who is specifically maybe living out of their car, but maybe it's just because I haven't been able to find that one student. But absolutely, I mean, when you consider the fact that UC Berkeley, you know, going back to the, the student from UC Santa Cruz, UC Berkeley only houses, what, 23% of its students? It's the lowest in all of UCs. So if you can't afford an 800 to 1200 uh, a month rent, a lot of people are in their, are in their cars. A lot of people are, um, I think there was one person staying at the park who was a student. Um, so absolutely, that's a consideration. I mean, it, even um, if you can't get a spot from the university, um, housing across the city is by far a lot more expensive. And so in order to avoid not having a place. I've talked to students who live in 300 square feet in a house with 12 other, other students. Um, mm-hmm. I've talked to students who live maybe five hours away by commute, um, in order to avoid homelessness. So if, even if people aren't necessarily living without a home, it's, it's quite dim, you know, when you look mm-hmm. at the options of what people can really afford. And when we come back to the mission of UCs, you know, hoping to really allow low, low income and, um, students and opportunity, those are the people who are most at risk. Yeah. You know, uh, Sujin,
3: you, this is one of the big issues for your org is, you know, figuring out these housing solutions. You know, UCLA, we were noticing recently offered um, that they would guarantee housing for students. And it seems like they've added 5,000 beds, which to Ryan Loyola's point earlier, might not be 5,000 actual rooms, but 5,000 beds for students. Are there solutions that the you know UC Berkeley has not looked into? Is the situation just really different in Los Angeles? Like what's what's different between these two kind of flagship institutions?
4: Uh, You know, the the differences that are happening across institutions is they're they're really looking at what resources they have available um, and trying to make the best decision based on that and their student demands. So it's it's hard to say, you know, what's happening at UC Berkeley versus UCLA in that in that situation. Um, I think the one thing we can look at is this is this is a huge problem for higher education in our state, and what these the, the goals and our need for more students to complete college. We have to find housing for them, and the state, for the you know the first time that I can think of, um, has made huge investments from the state to support campus housing, um, and that that's that's a lot different. This is this is new over the past few years, um, and I think the other thing that we'll be seeing is a lot more around how do we ensure that our social services in general recognize that college students are regular Californians. Mm. And so when we think about things that, you know, that housing policy is grappling with to address um, housing insecurity and homelessness, that college students are eligible and included in those benefits and services, which could support students, you know, today, tomorrow, next year, whereas a lot of these housing investments will be a number of years out um, before we'll see new housing getting built. So my sense is that, you know, this has probably just been... On the radar and something they've been digging into earlier at UCLA, and you know I think we're seeing the the housing the housing challenge at at Berkeley, you know the limitations around what's available are, are probably just just steeper. Yeah,
3: um, this is an issue that brings out a lot of passionate opinion. So I want to do um, a, a block of, of different comments of people coming uh, from different places on uh, on the topic. Um, Christy writes, out-of-state students don't displace California residents. They actually subsidize in-state students because the state legislature does not fully support the cost of attendance of in-state students. Without revenue from out-of-state tuition, there would be even fewer slots for California residents. We desperately need student housing at Berkeley. The land at People's Park is in an ideal location, and its important historical context is being preserved. I've worked on campus for 25 years, and every single day since reporting of such events is required via email logs, There is a report of at least one violent assault. It is now and has been for a long time a violence and crime ridden place. Park is a misnomer. Elena writes, I am a longtime Berkeley resident. I absolutely support the UC Regents to build student housing, just not on People's Park. Besides the student noise issue, the appellate court also opined that UC failed to assess other locations for this housing project. There are many potential lots that UC owns that they can build student housing on, including the Ellsworth Channing Garage that is seismically unsafe, according to UC, and only a few blocks west of People's Park. Had the UC regent started building student housing on a less contested lot than People's Park, there would have been housing available now for many hundreds of students. And another listener writes, People's Park is not an appropriate site for student housing, not only because it is a focal point of a major historical political movement, but because there's vehement opposition to the destruction of People's Park, which has already caused significant time delays and wasted money. If you see attempts to build again, the opposition will be even greater, thanks to the shameful, unnecessary destruction of the park's tree cover. UC Berkeley tried to keep us in the dark about the availability of building sites that are feasible alternatives to the destruction of People's Park. UC Berkeley has not built housing for their ever-growing student enrollment, and what they do is build not close to affordable. It isn't CEQA that needs to change. It's UC Berkeley that needs to respect the law. You know, Bill Fulton, when we're looking at a, a multifaceted challenge like this, not just, you know, student housing, but this particular site, as someone who has been involved in these planning processes, is there something that the university needs to do? Like, at what point does the university step back and say, you know, maybe we should look at these other sites? Or, like, is there um, so much sunk cost at this point that they kind of have to keep moving forward?
6: Well, I would say, I mean, I'm no expert in sunk cost, but I would say at this point that's probably where they need to go. Um uh, the, you know the the thing. They started construction. They cleared the place. They started construction. Um, technically speaking, the appellate court said that the uh, in the ruling a couple weeks ago that that UC did not have to. It was not their legal obligation to to view uh, to to look at alternative sites. So that doesn't mean they couldn't have or shouldn't have. Uh, uh, I, I think where they might. Be able to step back and, and and is say okay. Here are the sites we own in Berkeley. Here are here are the student housing needs, and here how here's how we are going to use those sites to uh, accommodate those student needs. Now that would. Knowing Berkeley probably generate a different another different kind of sequel lawsuit That's that's usually what happens in Berkeley when UC proposes anything, is that there's a sequel lawsuit. Um, it may that may be have be a different approach. I don't know why UC picked People's Park first. I don't know why uh, they have not taken a, a a broader approach to this question. Uh, you'll recall last year there was a different sequel lawsuit about uh, whether or not. Increased enrollment at UC Berkeley itself was an environmental impact. The legislature stepped in and passed a law that said, no, it is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I, I broader, as a planner, I believe a broader approach would be beneficial. But I also am not sure that an either, as I said before, housing need being so great for students and others, I'm not sure that an either-or approach like why build here when you can build there is 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 the solution either? Uh, probably a both and approach is necessary.
3: Kitty Lauer, in any of your reporting with the university, have you gotten the sense that they are going to consider alternative sites, or have you gotten the sense that they, at least on a on a public facing basis, they're full steam ahead?
5: I don't want to speak for the university. That could get me in a little hot water. But I mean, from past conversations, I think something that I've heard over and over again is that, you know, they do have this list of sites that that have potential for building and potential for student housing construction. But their uh, perspective is that they want to build on all of those sites. You know, it's not an issue of where do we put this one project? You know, these Uh, 1100 student student beds where do we put it it's more that if we have these 13 15 whatever that number is that those sites they're saying we are so behind in our student housing production that we need all of them Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I've heard them repeat over and over again and that the court kind of found issue with is that uh, they they didn't have alternatives for it because they want to go everywhere
3: We're talking about why it's so challenging to build student housing in California with Katie Lau, reporter with the East Bay Times and the Mercury News. Bill Fulton, urban planner with the William Fulton Group, also the author of Place and Prosperity, How Cities Help Us to Connect and Innovate. And Sujin Jez, CEO of California Competes, nonpartisan policy and research org. We are going to be back with more calls after the break. You can always get through at forum at KQED.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram where we're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about student housing, UC Berkeley. Why it's so difficult to build the amount of housing that we need to house students here in the state. We're joined by Katie Lauer, reporter with the East Bay Times and the Mercury News, Bill Fulton, an urban planner with the William Fulton Group, and Sujin Jez, CEO of California Competes. Let's get to some more calls. A lot of people want to talk. People's Park and UC Berkeley. Welcome, Eleanor
10: hi i'm a graduate student at uc berkeley and i am opposed to building on people's park the uc has other places to build and um that's what the courts and the law reviews have consistently found i'm coming on the heels of our historic grad student strike and i can say with confidence that the choice of people's park in particular is a strategic choice by the uc to create a political lightning rod around this issue and it's working i'm also a board director of the berkeley student cooperative a nonprofit housing cooperative that provides affordable housing to those who would not otherwise be able to afford a college education. The BSC offers 20 properties at cost, and we are able to charge much, much lower rents than the UC does for student housing. So when we're thinking about affordable versus market rate versus subsidized versus luxury housing, it's important to keep in mind that as a baseline, rent really doesn't need to cost any more than it actually costs to maintain the, the buildings. Um, you see student housing, hey, Eleanor, is can I ask you, can
3: I ask you a question? Um, just about the, the co-ops. Um, do you see places where you could expand that housing substantially? Like, are there opportunities for you all to acquire more buildings, go in? With, I, I don't know exactly how the, the funding model works, but where you could build out a lot more of the type of housing that you're describing, which seems like it works great in our, you know, institutions yeah. of, the, of, of Berkeley
10: this is something that we'd love to do. And we've actually been in communication with the UC about doing that. Um, One property that we've historically rented from the UC is Rochdale apartments. And um, the UC has given tentative verbal um, assurance that they're, they're interested in trying to find a way to give us ownership of the actual land so that we can, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, beyond that, I mean, we would love to expand, but we don't really have the funds to acquire more property in the current market. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but we would love to collaborate. And we've we've made this offer again and again, and the UC hasn't taken us up on it. We would love to collaborate on running any housing that the UC wants us to run. Um, But I think that there are a lot of perverse incentives in play uh, that are preventing us from being able to do that.
3: I mean, Eleanor, from from your position, like, do you see wh- like where do you see housing expanding? Like, can can you imagine a situation in which UC builds a lot of housing and that you feel like that would be housing that that students need and that is affordable? Or have you just lost all faith in the university to actually do that development?
10: Well, I, I think the UC probably should build housing um, not on People's Park, and this is the stance of of the BSC is is that. Mm-hmm. Um we we want housing we're happy to, get, to collaborate on it but we don't think it should be built on people's park. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Eleanor, thank you so much uh for your call and, and your perspective and um and uh the work you do. One oh.
10: last sentence. Oh yeah, sure. What closing sentence? Uh, well, I think what we really need from the legislature isn't isn't um Changing CEQA and bowing to the private developers, what we need from the legislature is more funding for public education. That's the first step in reversing the UC's trend of private co-optation over the last several decades. We need to raise property taxes on those who can afford to pay them and use that to rebuild our public infrastructure.
3: Hey, thank you, Eleanor. Really appreciate um, your, your perspective. Sujin, can you give me a sense, just based on Eleanor's last comment, what percentage like how how does a uh, uc's budget work right i mean i think we have a sense of them as public institutions but of course you know as eleanor was uh, alluding to over the last you know couple decades and in particular after the financial crisis more and more outside dollars were sort of coming in yeah
4: yeah that's right so if you think about the the cost of the university of california delivering an education to a student the, the, the money comes from you know a couple main sources obviously the state um, gives the the University of California a chunk of change um, Some of it comes directly from the students via tuition and fees um, if they're living in on-campus housing and, and paying for that rent um, and then they, they fundraise also from you know uh, private, philanthropies, donors, et cetera. And they might have also revenues from some auxiliaries, perhaps like campus housing, um, perhaps a hospital. Um, these these other entities, a bookstore, for example, um, but those are the main the main sources. Typically, for for public institutions, the state the state the state funding piece is is a main piece. And for the University of California, that that chunk has gotten smaller and smaller. So typically, when the the state hits you know um, uh, a tough a tough a tough budget year lots of times that people will say that the state balances its budget on the back of higher ed and that's because higher education has has a revenue source largely tuition um you, universities can can raise tuition unlike other sorts of things like you can't you can't charge or, you know prisoners or um, CalWORKs recipients, um, and those needs, you know, for CalWORKs or um, CalFresh will will go up during a recession. So that tends to what happens, and and it doesn't recover. Um, So my, if I'm remembering correctly, the the higher public higher in California is still trying to recover from the Great Recession, Mm -hmm. and the University of California receives most of its money not from the state. So that... um, I think a really important point is that they have to really think about how are they going to cover the cost of attendance while enrolling California residents, while also thinking about, you know, real equity issues in our states. To grow enrollment in our state, we really need to think about how do we better serve low-income Californians, Californians of color, um, and those are students who um, cannot, you know, write a check for, for the tuition and fees. So how do we how do we cover those costs to grow enrollment? And for our state, for you know the for higher education, for our state's economy, we're only going to grow if we leverage a strategy of shared prosperity. Like we can't do much more with those who have been served via in higher ed um, and those who have driven economic growth in the past because they're already going to college and graduating. We need to get new students. New populations, new demographics of Californians into and through college to to meet these really ambitious goals and to have our our state thrive yeah
3: i uh, one of the most difficult parts of this right is as we want to serve students who are you know first in their families to go to college or lower income, we find our ourselves those students are going to be the very ones who are going to be hit mm-hmm. hardest by the um you know high cost of this uh, of this housing um We have a couple more uh, comments, as you, I'm sure, have heard. Uh, There's a lot of people on different sides of this issue. Uh, One listener writes in to say, I support keeping the park a park. I'm concerned, however, that the merits of the suit, if it wins, will give rise to more nimbyism. I heard a fact which had been tagged at the end of a report by KQED that struck me as perhaps a less problematic argument against the project. The fact was that the park is the only open space available to the residents of the area. It serves as a positive now. Perhaps the argument to maintain it as necessary for public health would be an effective strategy if this suit fails. Another listener tweets, uh, We live near the, quote, park for over 30 years and next to frats in Berkeley. There's no party noise from dorms ever. Only frats and apartments limited to 10 p.m. We were students there five years ago, and we know this. Park's a haven for crime, drugs, fights. Dangerous. Not a park. Um. Let's go to David in Berkeley. Welcome, David.
11: Uh, hello there, Alexis, and good morning to your guests. Um, I have lived across from the park uh, for over 19 years. Um, and I've got to say that the, my concern uh, with building um, with putting up uh, dormitory is that we are this is a small neighborhood, Alexis mm-hmm. we have very very limited parking, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that great a volume of people uh, is going to improve things uh, as far as you know, mm-hmm. overcrowding,
3: congestion. Yeah,
11: congestion exactly. And the parking here—I do not drive, but I know enough people who do—and the parking here is at a high premium. Mm-hmm. In other words, number of spaces. Where is where are these kids going to park? Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. The other end of this is that we really... I've, I've lived here, like I say, for over 19 years, and the park is what the park is. Um, there are times when I've been very, very... I want to see, actually, I want to see as, as much open space up here as there is. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's seen what has gone on in the past... Ten to twenty years in Berkeley, with the building, there are buildings constantly going up. It is like it's like living in a major construction zone,
1: mm-hmm.
11: and uh, yeah. we need to uh, think about uh, seriously about the surrounding neighborhood before we begin any kind of, of construction or anything. Thank you in David. that area.
3: Yeah, no, I I appreciate that in it. Yeah, you know, I mean that is the the purpose of Sequa, Yeah, is to allow for this kind of deliberation. I mean, um, I think people may not like how it's been applied, but that is the idea behind it on a governance level. Let's go to uh, Brad in San Diego. Welcome.
2: Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm actually
3: calling from Berkeley. Oh, okay, Brad. Brad in yeah. Berkeley, even better. Thank you.
2: No worries. Um, hey, I just wanted to add a little um, kind of pro housing perspective, and I'll I'll be upfront about that. So I know that UC is working in several locations to build student and other kinds of housing from the Gilman track to, you know, other campus locations. City of Berkeley is, has done their part and upzoned large parts of Southside, where most of the student housing is intended to be built. Some of this is UC land. Some of this is private sector land. But the city is trying to establish a framework to, you know, let the private sector and the university build more housing. This is a 40-year problem that we've been in that has created this, and it's going to take a concerted effort to get out of the housing deficit. I would just say, from my perspective as a longtime resident, uh, People's Park has become anything other than a park for people. It's 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 been unsafe for years. I think what's gotten lost in this conversation is that there's a plan to build a large, permanent, supportive housing project on the park presumably to house the people that are unhoused there now in a much more sustainable and safe situation. So I think the student housing, and the PSH housing were really brilliant um, ideas that that meet two very different needs in Berkeley.
3: Hey, Brad, um, thank you for your perspective. Um, You know, Katie, um, just to talk briefly about the uh, permanent supportive housing that's also included with the student housing in the in UC Berkeley's um, plan. I mean, one of the issues uh, that that opponents of the plan have raised, you know, would that actually be housing for the people who are living there, or would it just sort of those people would get sort of pushed off, and then other people would get moved in? Like, what have you um heard about that criticism uh, uh, along the way
5: regarding like who could live there? Yeah, who, who, right who would
3: end up? Yeah, exactly.
5: Um, that's an interesting question because I know, you know, prior to when construction was trying to be started, uh, like I said earlier, they they've been in the process. They had a the city and um, the university kind of collaborated in dedicating an, uh, a social worker for specifically the park, who worked to um, try to get some folks into a shelter not too far from the park before all of this kind of really came to a head most recently. Um, when it comes to who will get those units once these these uh, these beds are built. I'm not sure because like at that point, you're not going to have people who are living on the site, presumably, if you have construction and construction um, happening there. But I really think that that's going to have to be people who have been on the ground in the past few years connecting with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the fences go back up and stay up for that matter, you um, I'm not sure how that process will happen. It's a very good question. And I don't yeah. think just because of all of this, we I mean, haven't even gotten off the ground yet, that I haven't even gotten to that point to ask.
3: Yeah. Um, let's bring in uh, Harvey Smith, who's with the People Park Historic Advocacy Group. Welcome, Harvey.
1: Uh, good morning. Um, yeah, I just want to point out that for, we're a plaintiff in a lawsuit. We want student housing, but we're, we're very clear that the uh, UC Berkeley gives us a false choice. Uh, we don't have to choose between housing and a park. Um, they have all these alternative sites. Uh, building on them is not going to happen immediately. And I've actually have spoken to the former vice chancellor of real estate who told me, who he actually completed a number of construction projects, that building on People's Park was a bad idea. Mm. So um, th- the point is that this is really beyond Berkeley, People's Park is on the National Register of Historic Places. It's a nationally recognized historic site, which UC has never recognized, never once mentioned. I I also want to point out that uh, UC has tagged us as a NIMBY neighbor, uh, a privileged uh, neighbor, which is not true. Our our group uh, is supported by hundreds of people from all over Berkeley, all over California, all over the nation. And um, though it is
3: fair to say, Harvey, that the guy behind the lawsuit who won with CEQA is, in fact, like uh, in the finance world. And I mean, many of the homes in South Berkeley are extremely expensive. I mean, it's not it's that, not that has nothing that has yeah.
1: nothing to do with our. No, 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 no. I know. I know. I know. But I'm just saying there's He's
3: multiple a, different yeah. groups that are opposing People's Park. And your group is, is distinct. Yeah. And I, I recognize but, that as is the other.
1: Yeah. As a previous caller pointed out, there's construction going on all
2: over Berkeley.
1: So CEQA has not had a major impact on uh, housing private uh, construction or university construction. Lots of buildings have gone up. So there's a few notable projects that have been stymied because of really poor planning on the part of UC. That's what the Court of Appeals recognized. UC did not explore alternatives. And noise is really a totally, you know, secondary issue to us. The, the key thing is that UC does not have to build on People's Park. The Ellsworth parking structure that has been mentioned, would, their own plans say would give them two and a half, more than two and a half times the number of student beds. So All we right. urge UC to, to move on and get the housing up and, for, and keep up People's Park a park, which is uh, vitally needed in that neighborhood.
3: Thanks, Harvey Smith with uh, People's Park Historic Advocacy Group. Um, One last uh, comment. Christine writes in to say, I was born and raised in Berkeley. My parents are immigrants and moved to Berkeley in 1968, several blocks away from People's Park. They remember when Reagan called in the National Guard. Fast forward to today. I live in Berkeley with my parents in a multi-generational household. People's Park is not a park for all. I have two boys and would never take them there. It is unsafe, unsanitary, and full of people who need help and housing. UC Berkeley needs housing, and housing should be built there. It is their land and their charters to educate Californians. The unhoused people at the park should be taken care of, but not at the park. Many suffer from drug addiction and mental illness. What amazes me is that so-called progressives in Berkeley have failed to address homelessness, mental health issues, drug addiction, etc. It is not compassionate to allow people to live in tents in the street. It is also not okay to let a park become so dangerous that families cannot take their children there to play so as you've heard throughout this show this is a very contentious issue part of the much larger issue of building student housing in california which we've been talking about here today we've been joined by sujin jez ceo of california competes a nonpartisan policy and research organization focused on the intersection of higher education equity and the economy thanks for joining us sujin
4: thanks for having me
3: We've also been joined by Bill Fulton, an urban planner with the William Fulton Group, author of Place and Prosperity, How Cities Help Us to Connect and Innovate and a Guide to California Planning. Thanks for joining us, Bill.
6: My pleasure. Thank you.
3: And we've been joining by Katie Lauer, reporter with the East Bay Times and the Mercury News has been doing a great job covering these issues. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie.
5: Really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
3: You can find a lot of her reporting on the websites there, uh, East Bay Times and the Mercury News. Earlier, we were joined by uh, Ryan Loyola, a student at UC Santa Cruz, who's also been reporting on student housing for Cal Matters. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you for staying civil today on this very contentious and difficult topic. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.